Hello, and welcome to I Hate Music. Today, I have Tim Smolens with me. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you, man? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. Um, I've been a fan of yours for quite some time, all the way back with uh, Astratosphere and ISS and seen you live quite a bit. So, uh, yeah, it's a real pleasure to have you join me. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you and the other uh, 250 people. But uh, <laughs> glad to have you, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of the first time I saw a stratosphere, but uh, saw you a couple times, and I also saw you with Amanda Palmer. Oh, wow! In uh, Portland in, or Seattle or what? In Portland. <clears throat> okay. Excuse me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was a trip. Um, and I saw you. God, I can't even remember. A few times. Um, but yeah, but we're mostly here to talk about your your new band, High Castle Tele Orchestra. Um, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that? It sounds like a really interesting and fascinating project. It's a cool project, man. So I'm long story short. So we did a stratosphere for, you know, I don't know, more than a decade and kind yeah. of fizzled out because we were all um, reaching, you know, what are we actually going to do to make a living or re- reaching the end of our 20s and it somehow kind of skated by with with odd and odds and ends for jobs and gigs right. here and there. But, um, you know, my we moved up to Seattle and had this really expensive warehouse and my wife ended up getting pregnant and it just kind of yeah. seemed like everything was kind of pulling in different directions at that point. So right. yeah. I kind of stepped out, um, went and just started the family and went to nursing school eventually just as a, oh, like, wow. I need yeah. something that's stable. Yeah. just, I didn't really know what to do. So I was like, Oh, I heard nurses have a stable job or whatever. So I'm an ER nurse now, but you know, I have a pretty good schedule. We just work three 12 hour shifts a week. So I have lots of time for, for music, even with the family and everything. So oh, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think what it was is I was out of doing, you know, I don't know what you call this kind of music, experimental, avant-garde, whatever. But I hadn't done it for like more than a decade. I had released an album with more of my like doo-wop Beach Boys stuff. Yeah, yeah. A few years ago. And then I think the it's just finally got back that I have these skills for producing this this music. And it's kind of like a unique skill set that like my production chops are probably more 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 developed than any instrument that I play or anything else. So yeah. like my, you know, the stuff I can do in the studio. So kind of hit me that like, I know all these people all over the place and, and the quarantine was going on. So no one's going to see each other anyway. So why don't we just like make a band and that can be our little, not gimmick, but like, you know, that we're just this remote band that never sees each other ever. And we're still yeah. going to make really cool records, but uh, still in the very similar vein, as you hear, it sounds very much like something that could be a stratosphere. Sure. Maybe yep. a little more mature in it's, there's probably less genre hopping, you know, every 10 seconds. Yes. It probably stays mm-hmm. pretty similar to one song in a vibe. And then the next song might be a different vibe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed, but, uh, I noticed that it seemed a little bit more uh, or less, I don't know, less erratic, I guess. Yeah. More cohesive. Yeah. That's, um, that a, that's a better word for it. More cohesive. And you know, the, the guys, the guys I got, you know, that I kind of enlisted and kind of just had the ideas. They're just, I mean, they're cats, man. Some oh, of these yeah. people, I mean, obviously Timbo from a stratosphere is yeah. just a workhorse and can play anything on violin and viola and arranging strings and yep. Steon since in the multi-instrumentalist and uh, accordions from Norway is honestly probably one of the top five musicians in the world. He is that good. Farmer's that market, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I love Bear Farmer's market. Bungle is an amazing writer. He plays sax, flute, and clarinet, and just has a really quirky sense of writing and is yeah. probably 
I would say one of the unsung heroes in that band because you know the big three in the in that band gets all the credit, but sure, a lot of the little parts that people don't know were written by him. You know, stuff in the bends and stuff in um, yeah, air conditioned nightmare and goodbye sober day, and and they would usually kind of cannibalize little parts of his other songs and kind of take them, you know, and put them in. But he's a great writer in his own right, so it's been a blast working with him. When you said Dave Murray. Oh yeah, on drums, and then my friend Chris Bogan. We always joke he's the undistinguished. He's not. He doesn't have any like <laughs> thing that anybody knows about. But he's an awesome guitarist, and he's kind of like my day to day production partner, and helps with the business stuff. And is an awesome guitarist, and it's a good oh, little great. cast of characters. Yeah. So where's everybody based out of uh, Norway? <laughs> You've got. So I'm in Denver. Yeah. Chris is in Louisiana. We're the okay. two Americans. Timba has expatriated. Oh really? And is now. Yeah, he lives in the south of France, but he's moving somewhere in like east or north. I couldn't remember where it even was. Um, wow. With his I didn't know that. Wife, girlfriend. I can't remember. Um, Bear lives in Australia. Yeah, I knew that. Um, and Dave Murray is in um, like Santa Barbara. Okay. So. Yeah. Man, when you said Bungle, it gave me chills. Bu- I know, man. Bungle's my all-time favorite band. and They pretty much were the most formative for me. I mean, I before Bungle, I was like listening to Nirvana, and it was just like yeah. on a dime in high school, like everything about my life and music changed. Yeah. You know, my parents probably were like, what the heck? You were going to – you were making music that seemed like it could have gone somewhere, <laughs> and then all of a sudden we were making – I don't know if you ever heard of the first record we did in high school, Don Salsa. Um, yeah, of course. But yeah. it's, it's basically like an homage to Disco yep. Volante yeah. from high school kids. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah. Trey Trey had told me at one point that it was the only thing he'd ever heard where like Bungle was an obvious influence, and it wasn't just like impossible for him to listen because there was like some Mike Patton wannabe, or right? Yeah, just something like, slap bass metal or something. But um, yeah, high yeah. school homage to Disco Volante is very much what Don Salsa was. Yeah, um, man, that's awesome. Yeah, Disco Volante is my all time favorite record. So. Yeah, I put it up there with um, not that the Beach Boys ever finished Smile, but as far as like production masterpieces mm-hmm. in the psychedelic realm, yeah, um, it is definitely yeah, top two or three, absolutely for sure. Oh, it's, I listened to it today and I hear things I didn't hear when it came out. You know, it's just it defies what a genre even is. It makes you yeah. question, and, and pe- people get defensive. They don't even want to listen to it because they just it, they don't have any context for what this even is, and is it even music in the yeah. first place? You know? Yeah, exactly. But that's that's what I love about it, and that's what really fascinates me. And when I first uh, when I first got it, my friend said, "I feel like I'm running to try to catch up to like <laughs> understand what's happening," and I still feel like that. And it's been what like 25 years. It's such a piece of art. Like yeah. you know, so much, uh, so much music, you really would kind of struggle to call it actual art, you know, in one way or the other. But that one is just, yeah, it defies oh, yeah. every, even, even, you know, Patton's released so much stuff. But when I look at what he did on that record and is like, there's no lead singer. There's just this instrument that is yeah. the vocals and that's, uh, you know, chemical marriage and yeah. 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 It's that to me, I, I wish there was three records of that kind of stuff. And instead, you know, I, I, I don't like um, a lot of the other releases as much because it just doesn't reach the heights that Disco Volante does. And yeah. I have a hard time. I like California. Obviously, the first album was kind of the gateway drug. Sure. Um, but Disco Volante for me is if I had to choose, it wouldn't even be close. Oh, yeah, me too. I, and I adore the other records as well. And yeah, I, I feel like California is extremely subversive in a very kind it of is. like it is strange yeah. way. Um, and I don't want to focus on bungle the whole time here, but I, sure. <laughs> I did, I, I did want to ask you about uh, you programming the keyboards for Trey for the California tour. 
yeah, I don't know if we, oh yeah, we're not on video here, but I have the keyboard right next to me here, the one I used. Oh really? Um, yeah, yeah. I just had this. Um, you know, back in the day, it was considered a very advanced piece of equipment, this Kurzweil K twenty five hundred. And originally, when I was uh, as a quote unquote stalking Trey, like I would yeah. wait after you know Cobra shows at Slims in San Francisco. Oh man, I was like, I, I got this keyboard. You got to check out. And I think he had heard Don Salsa at one point. But I've got this keyboard. It does everything. Like you can sequence all the songs, and it's got a million sounds. And finally, I don't know how it happened, but he's like, well, I'm like, you, you want to borrow it for a couple of weeks? And so I got him to do it. He gave me his number and I dropped it off to him in San Francisco. And he ended up writing. Uh, none of them knew they were robots. I still have his sequences for that on my keyboard. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, he wrote it on my keyboard. And then so when it all came time to when they finally got out of the studio, and needed to figure out how to play it live. Like, I don't think they had ever you know, programmed three keyboards worth of stuff. Sure. Um, and they were wacky, you know, key maps where it's like press this key and it's the timpani. Right. And then you press this button and all of the glockenspiels changes to organ. But here's the violin sample. There was a lot of samples. I mean, I think a lot of people knew that, that they were, you know, yeah. the violins from the album. They're just, you know, kind of do one bar and then you press mm-hmm. the next key. So one guy was like dedicated to that and another guy's playing this organ. But they were, it, I can't remember, it was at least a week and a half where Trey and I were sitting in my room in Santa Cruz programming that thing and it was fun, and I'm glad that they didn't have any uh, glitches on the road because, you know, one of the keyboards goes out or <laughs> right. something. I think we had a backup drive or something, but I didn't go on tour with them or anything. So, right. But it all worked out well, so that was, that was a, a trip. That was one of the most fascinating tours I ever saw. I, I actually followed them for a little bit on the California tour, caught a handful of shows, and every time I, was, I, couldn't, I couldn't fathom how many things everybody was handling all at once. It was just, yeah, I think I still incredible. enjoyed, I only saw the, I saw in high school, actually saw the disco Volante tour. I don't know if you did. I did too. I, I saw him in Minneapolis. Yeah. That, that was a better tour. My reason, because this one, it was so, they were just so bound to the samples, you know, yeah. they had to just play the songs through uh-huh. and on the disco Volante tour, they were able to kind of let loose a little bit with oh, some man. of the arrangements yeah. and be free of those samples. And there was just a both, but the California tour was really, really good too. Yeah. I saw him on that weird snow core tour too where they were playing oh, God, with yeah. incubus or what whoever needs now is love or <laughs> yeah, that was that was odd but uh yeah i caught him like two or three times in california and only once on disco volante uh but yeah the disco volante tour it was just it was mind-altering so for me just completely. too bad there isn't better video from that tour i know i know god yeah it's so so good uh the other thing i wanted to bring up too this really fascinates me i, I really like to hear a little bit more about iss Okay. Um, I know you're really big into the Beach Boys and things like that in Motown. Um, yeah. I don't know a lot of people that are into that, you know? And so, I'm, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm really curious about um, what it is that speaks to you. And, and I know that there's a complexity to it that's really not uh, immediately apparent. So right, I, right. I'd love to hear your thoughts on those type of things. Sure. I could probably break it down for you a little bit. Um, obviously, the Beach Boys, most people have their programming and, you know, most people hear, you know, fun, fun, fun. Or sure. I get around uh-huh. and, and um, that's kind of the 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 oldies radio that's the impression they give of the beach boys not that they're probably the most far out psychedelic band that ever existed right up there with mr bungle like you know their their work in the 66 and 67 is something that you know i think pretty much everyone in bungle looks to as like a a high watermark for definitely california is pretty evident that they're looking back there yeah i don't know how familiar you are with the the smile sessions just a little bit just oh man, I, I will I will hip you to it uh, when we get off of here and okay. send you some stuff. That'd but, be great. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of LSD going on and, mm-hmm. and Brian's ability to use the studio had been growing and growing. You know, he'd made Pet Sounds, which is yeah. in pretty much everyone's top five list of greatest records ever, at least if they're compiling like regular pop rock records. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was really one of the first people that could use a whole orchestra as a rock band. I mean, Phil Spector was doing it before him, but the songs weren't quite as profound. They were, you know, right. girl group songs. And the sound was awesome. He had castanets and string sections and three basses and sure. piano and organ. He puts it, you know, um, very just, they call it the wall sound, you know, with Spector. But Brian made it a little more personal where on Pet Sounds, like you'd hear the oboe and you'd hear the harpsichord and these things would pop out. They're like, it's like Baroque rock or whatever um obviously there's a complexity to the beach boys that if if you're not a musician and you don't understand chord progressions you would probably never get it and and mm-hmm. you know always oh, doing e flat half diminished over a to right. all these like slash chords and kind of advanced jazz chords that you just really don't see at all and you know it's not the point that you're trying to write the most complicated chords you can just to do it but um the sophistication in his chord progressions is unlike anything I've ever seen in pop music. I mean, the only thing I would ever even think that would be close to that as far as like chord progression sophistication would be like Stevie wonder Mm -hmm. or steely Dan does ridiculous chord changes uh, that, that people can barely wrap their head around. Um, G13 flat nine over <laughs> D, you know, just crazy stuff. But Smile yeah. took it to a whole other level where they were doing this concept album of, you know, American sort of uh, gothic stuff with, you know, Indians and Plymouth Rock and all, all of these sort of real dark topics that he was putting into this little psychedelic rock opera thing. But uh, yeah, good, such a good, I mean, the fact that he didn't finished that record in 67 and just kind of folded when the other guys came back from tour and said, this is too far out for me. You know, they weren't <laughs> dropping yeah. the acid with them. They were out on tour and Brian wouldn't tour. He would just stay home with the studio musicians and hire the, you know, the A-list studio musicians and they'd come back and he'd be like, here's what we're going to sing. And they went through the motions on smile, but you know, Mike love apparently just really hated it. And Brian was very fragile and he just finally just folded, but it was, mm. I would say it was at least 90% done and it would have absolutely changed you know, the face of music with everyone, you know, turning on and, and Monterey pop festival and the open mindedness yeah. stuff. And you, there's nothing else even in that realm um, as far as psychedelic music from the late sixties, early seventies. So you sold me, I got to check that out more. I mean, I've, I've heard a little bit here in passing and uh, you know, it was never really on my radar until California came out and everybody was like, Oh right. man, this is like an obvious homage to, pet sounds and smile and all this. And I've, I mean, and, I've, and theirs is honestly even kind of a superficial one. It's like, oh, okay, I hear the timpanies and lots of right. reverb and hand claps. Like, and there's a couple harmonies on air conditioned nightmare and there's a couple Bob ops on vanity right. fair. Yeah. But, but it, it's not really that close. It's more like you said, just kind of, you know, tips the cap to it. A sure. Little bit. Yeah. 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 I like that. Yeah. I'm gonna have to check that out for sure. So, oh man, yeah, I can, I can send you some stuff. I'd love that. So you, but you, you've got ISS, which is, oh yeah, yeah. which is, Correct me if I'm wrong. Ideal social situation. Yep. Awesome. Yep. I got it. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, so that, yeah, that is, I mean, when I was doing all that music with the stratosphere, it was kind of like my little way to get my little pop on, you know, uh-huh. a little bit. Cause I definitely have that side of me. That's always liked pop music. Um, when I was growing up, I loved fifties music and, you know, whatever was out in the eighties, glam rock and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I was what, nine or 10 years old when Guns N' Roses came out. Oh, it yeah. was huge for me. Huge but, for um, me too. Always had a thing for just good rock and good, uh, good pop music. Um, and 
the more I learned those Beach Boys chord progressions on Pet Sounds and some of their stuff and started realizing how to kind of put all that stuff together, um, I started realizing I could write music kind of like that. And ISS very much wears it on its sleeve that, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm emulating that. I have my own takes and there's definitely enough originality in there. But, you know, you hear a five part vocal with the soprano on top and, you know, counterpoint vocals below it. You're definitely going to think Beach Boys every time. Yeah. 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 It's just I remember. I can't remember when I got into a stratosphere, but then you start going down the rabbit hole of like all the different things that you guys are involved with. And I remember uh, when I first heard ISS, I was like, this is just so out of left field for me. It's just not, you know, I'm, I'm mostly a metal guy. So, right. Um, now, those are the metal guys are that, the ones that have the hardest under, time understanding that, yeah. that Beach Boys connection. And I remember, too, and I didn't even know the Beach Boys connection, even through Disco Volante. And I think Trey eventually is the one who here, listen to Pet Sounds. And he put on uh, I Just Wasn't Made for These Times. It's got harpsichord and three basses and timpanis and French horns and just all of this crazy stuff on it. And it's just this really beautiful pop song about feeling like you just don't belong in this world the way it is right now. And it's something, you know, most people could probably relate to in any phase. Sure. Yeah. It's just, that was fascinating. Um, And I remember listening to it and just being like, this is not at all what I expected. And (laughs) because, because this is coming out of something that I relate to so much, there's gotta be more here that I'm not grasping. You know, it's, it's, so oh, yeah. so out of my realm. It's, I just I didn't even know how to smile. Well, smile. I'm not kidding. Is is I, I don't know whether I'd call like disco volante and smile as far as psychedelic music. Mm-hmm. It's one and two, and I, I I couldn't even tell you which is one. It's that close. Okay. Yeah. Um, smile came before it, and they did it. You know, in a. I mean, they both did it on analog, I guess you could say. Right. So they both went through the the full on labors to to get it out, and yeah. didn't have any digital help. Uh, you know, Beach Boys had much more of a budget and could hire a whole orchestra to be sitting there on call all day and just be sure. like, okay, we need you to play the the kettle drums and you're going to play the bass harmonica. And, yeah. you know, he really had a quirky um, idea of instrumentation. And he could put, you know, he, the story that they're telling about the, you know, the heroes and villains and building the transcontinental railroad and um, the mistreatment of Indians, you know, without getting too political or anything, but they definitely, he uses instruments in a, how would you say it? In a pictorial way. Okay. Where, yeah. where what it's talking about in the song is actually reflected in the orchestration of that song. Oh yeah. Okay. And it's the first album I've ever heard that can really do that. You could, you definitely hear that in classical pieces where they're emulating certain things, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, horses galloping or whatever the <laughs> right. mind from, from hearing it, but he was using it in a in a rock kind of way or a pop way, and, right. and I'd never heard that done before until then. Wow. Okay, you've given me lots of things to check out here. Uh, should we move on to? Uh, <laughs> Let's do it. Yep. <laughs> move on to some HCT. Let's do it, man. Okay, so we're going to play. Well, you tell us what we're going to play first. Okay, we're going to play, um, I'll kind of preface this song. Um, I don't know how to, I don't speak German, so this is, okay. what it looks like to me is Ike Bins, I th- but I think they'd be like Ike Bun. Ike Bun yeah. pro- might be closer, but I'm sure I'd get torn apart for that pronunciation. But right. um, it's a German phrase that means, I think it means it's me. We got it um, from a Philip K. Dick book, Radio Free Album Oath, which we're basing our whole first album off. Each, each uh, chapter is a different song on the record, and that's one of the chapters where the narrator has this sort of divine type of revelation thing happening that kind of strike him um 
and you realize that he was like communicating with his future self or something to that effect. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so this song's got an interesting story. I'll kind of um, see if I can boil it down for sure. you. 96, my parents went to Europe for a, um, what was it, their 30th anniversary, 40th, something like that. They came home with this tape and, and I had already, it's funny because we're talking about Bungle, but I had just gotten into Bungle or quote unquote, that new weird music that you like so much. <laughs> yeah. So they visited this self-playing, you know, orchestra, like not digital, like where, like they, where it's air automated, like in Ruden, Rudensheim, Rudensheim uh, Germany. And so there's, yeah, one of those old school self-playing, you know, orchestras where it's mm -hmm. out of tune, but there's instruments that are just air automated. There's plenty of those kind of things, you know, around. Right. But, um, so they're like, Timmy would really like this music. So they brought me home this tape and I still have it, this yellow tape that that's from that, um, museum wow self-playing instruments and so i listened to the whole thing but there was this one song that really caught my my ear and and yeah this was back in 96 97 something like that kept this tape all those years never thought about it would break it out every couple of years and maybe listen to it eventually digitized it and threw it into my itunes just to have it but when I formed a High Castletello Orchestra, it just kind of struck me that this would be a perfect song for us to do. We got Steon, you know, the accordion virtuoso. Yeah. And it has this very mechanical failure vibe to the song where there was like the instruments. You listen to the original too, and it's like out of tune. And it's everything you'd expect from an air automated thing that's probably hard to fully maintain all the tuning. Sure, yeah. Little squeaks from the mechanics and the tempo grid. I'm sure it was using some kind of like piano roll type of technology. Yeah. It must have been. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. You know how, every, how so many people record to a click track yep. these days and everything is very sterile mm -hmm. and the same tempo. The tempo on this thing is just absolutely all over the place. And I loved it. I'm like, yeah. we are going to, I'm going to copy this tempo map to the T and we're just going to record over it because, you know, oh, awesome. way in, He's a digital performer, but I can move around the beats so that the click track will kind of conform to whatever I want it to, to sure, you know, pre-existing yeah. music. So we just started with the actual regular track. And the interesting thing about this track is you can't find it anywhere. And, and the name of it is an Eek Buns. We, we changed the name for the Philip K. Dick uh, connotation. Mm -hmm. But um, the name of this one, I think, is Love Waltz. And so Chris and I started researching this. You know, we could find stuff about this museum we could not find this song anywhere. You could look on YouTube. You can look on any streaming service. It did not exist. Wow. So we're, we're, we, we, we could find that there was this record that you could get, which I think was the same thing as the tape I had, but there's no like new releases or places to download it. So we eventually see that the song's called Love Waltz and they credit the composer as being, who is it again? Gosh, Jorge, someone. Oh, sorry. Let me pull up the liner notes. Anyway. Um, yeah. Um, oh, Lucchesi. And there's so the funny thing is there's an Italian composer named Lucchesi. And we're like listening to all his stuff. Like nothing sounds right. Then we keep digging deeper. And there's an Argentinian tango composer <laughs> named Lucchesi who immigrated to France in the 1920s. Oh. Turns out wrote this song that somehow this German madman who made the museum got his hands on and turned it into a piano roll. Wow. So not only could we not find the audio for this anything, although I had the tape and the and the digitized tape, so like I we had the song, but like there's got to be a score for this thing. So we finally trace it to the Library of France and and they have it, but it's not whoever owns whatever, like the family, they probably don't even know they have it anymore, honestly. But right. like, oh, this is not public domain. So Chris keeps he's kind of a um a cyber tech, you know, guy by trade. So mm -hmm. he's kind of 
pretty geeky with all that stuff. He eventually finds this antique sheet music dealer in France that has the score. And I forget what he paid for oh, it, wow. bucks or something like that for just uh, three sheets of music. Yeah. And I had already transcribed it for the best I could, but it was cool just to get the actual score. Um, if you look at the seven inch, we, we, you actually see some of the notes from that old score okay. on the back of the seven inch. That's but, very um, cool. Anyway. So, so it's, it's just a weird path that that song took where, you know, this guy from Argentina to France and then the German guy gets a hold of it. My parents go out there and bring the, the kid, you know, the high school kid back the tape of that new weird music. You'd probably like this <laughs> yeah. uh, and then recording it, you know, 25 years after that. That's amazing. And then, so of course our, you know, take was that I wanted it to be, this was our first release. So I wanted it to be very Estratosphirian where, we turn it, you know, it's half metal. And yep. so it's a waltz the whole time, speeding up, slowing down. You've got accordions and out of tune tack pianos and pump organs and metal and metal guitars, violin. Uh, what else? Bear plays uh, tenor sax and clarinet that do these kind of ancillary backing roles. But it's a really cool effect. And Steon pretty much steals the show on the accordion with his ridiculous solo and sort of ornamentations that he plays the whole time. But that's a pretty good... Uh, lead up to the song i think awesome cool yeah let's let's listen to it let's do it man
Okay, so that was the first track off your first single. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. Um, so, can we revisit this whole like <laughs> international band thing? Like, how do you accomplish that as far as actually recording? Yeah, that's that. So. Um, what I like to do is first is, um, the most important thing when you're going to record anything is like finishing your form of it. Like your, what would they call the pre-production where it's like, I have my tempos, right? I have all my changes. I have a sequence in my program and I like to have everything on a grid where even if the tempo is fluctuating, I have it. So it's like this bar, you know, you can record completely off the grid and and do fine if you wanted to, but it's so much easier to edit when it's on the grid. And Mm -hmm. this is a waltz and so three, four and all the time changes. So I got the whole sequence plotted out and then I start sort of overdubbing some MIDI tracks over it, kind of getting all the basic parts. Um, so I know I sent it to Dave. I knew he would, I told him our ideas that we wanted this European waltz, but we want it to be like have grindcore sections where you, and yeah. I, I didn't have any ideas about what the beats were. I just told him like, do your thing. And he just sends it back and it's just perfect. Um, it's actually a different drummer on the clean part. So like every time it goes metal, that's Dave. And I had already recorded the waltz with this other drummer um, locally here named Rory Reagan, who actually lives in, just moved to Spain, but he did live here. Um, so he's doing all the, you know, the waltzy clean stuff. And Dave's like, cool. So I don't have to do the clean stuff. I'll just focus on the metal. That's fine. You know, that's more <laughs> my too anyway. Yeah. So you don't really notice the transitions, but um so I'd lay out the whole sequence. I think we got the drums down and then I just start layering all the things I can do. I'll get my basses down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris started doing the guitars and then I just, um, for someone like bear, you know, he, he doesn't have a lead role in this, but he's got a very important ancillary role. Um, he does all the counter melodies and that's on a clarinet on one side and a tenor sax on the other. Okay. So those, I just wrote out what I was hearing for him and just, um, I, I like to just give people, very specific parts that in that case, I didn't feel like there was a lot of, you know, leeway with it. It's like kind of just play it down right. or someone like Steve might tell him like, here's the melody, but like do whatever you hear. And he's just going to know what to do. Sure. Like he just kind of, um, so in his, it was the melody and then he kind of adds his own voicings, but it, he's a jazz player actually on accordion. So I can give him like a chart with all the jazz chord changes and the melody and he can play all of it just like, like it's nothing. Wow. Um, It's really just sending things to people and having them send me back. And, you know, maybe I might have to edit a couple notes here or there for rhythm or Mm -hmm. is there a pitchy note or, you know, obviously that song has a real like out of tune feeling in the first place. So I need to do a ton of editing on it. Yeah. And you're using digital performer. I do. Yeah. I've I've used that forever. So I just, I've never seen a need to buy into the pro tools, hardware limitations. And yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I used to use digital performer many years ago, but now I'm a tried and true pro tools guy. Most people are. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I I just never saw a reason to change and I don't know. We'll see. I keep thinking maybe they're going to go out of business eventually because they're such a small company. Yeah. They are really small. (laughs) Um, Are you like, using a lot of outboard gear and stuff like that too? You know, I, these days, not so much. Yeah. I've got a pretty good channel going in. I've got like a Neve okay. emulator preamp. It's got the EQ on it. Like it emulates the Neve 1073, not even the real Neve. I, then I have also an emulation of the um, Yuri 1176. And that's mm-hmm. kind of my main chain. 
And I, I, I'm not afraid to drive things pretty hard. Like if you hear on some of these recordings, like some of the tones I'll go for are pretty dirty. Yeah. Like not always, but certain sounds, I'm not afraid to overdrive mm-hmm. it or hit it with analog distortion. Or, I love that. Um, yeah. So a lot of what I do in the, in the computer is I do all these things to degrade sounds. Like anytime I'm using like a keyboard or something that's artificial, like mm-hmm. MIDI, you should see my chain of stuff. I'm going to have like bad cassette depth emulation uh-huh, yeah. going through old yeah. compressor. Then I might put it through a second, you know, degrader where it's going through like a vinyl record. And I don't usually keep too much of the noise artifact, but more just the sound of that, like mm-hmm. the dirty needle or whatever. Um, and I'll just get, yeah, some pretty dirty sounds. Like the, the more fake the thing is, like if it's MIDI, the more I'm just going to squash it. So I, I, I kind of say that it's a weird mix of lo-fi and hi-fi where, you know, right. the drums usually going to mess too much with except like getting some natural overdrive and like pushing the compressor a little bit but mm-hmm. i'm not going to like run it through a cassette tape usually usually yeah uh, i even have a cassette an actual cassette tape which i'll run stuff out to too i've done that like yeah a, like percussion sounds so yeah. good like it sounds so bad when it's just super clean to me i just love that like 70s sound mm-hmm. so i'll just crush it to this tape throw it back into the computer and obviously you need to like time align it, like make a cut every, you know, 15 seconds and kind of get the drift cause it's yeah. not digital. But, right. Um, Do you use a lot of MIDI for this stuff or are you talking about different projects? Um, yeah. For some of it, like, I don't know on this song, there's a um, pump organ and mm-hmm. a tack piano. Then they're all real samples. Right. But they're all in contact of like some really old, you know, pump organ and they sound great i mean right off the bat you wouldn't be like oh that sounds midi but you know there's, there's right. stuff with the performances mm-hmm. with do you quantize it a little bit but don't over quantize it sure you still want it to sound like it's played yeah because you know there's a lot of latency when you play now if you've got 100 tracks going you can't set it the buffer <laughs> at 256 yeah so sometimes i'm playing in and i'm like having to trigger a different piano just so i hear like the timing is correct and right. then i you know change the sound back to the pump organ so in this one i think the only real midi would be the pump organ and the tack piano. Okay. Um, yeah. When you said MIDI, I, it surprised me because I, I never would have guessed any of this was MIDI. So yeah, if I had access to a pump organ, you know, or whatever, sure, but it, yeah. I'm, the sounds these days are so good. I've, I, I wish I had it ready right now. I mean, you just play it and you're like, Oh my God, it yeah. sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That that's awesome. I use a lot of MIDI too. Um, for different things, but, uh, I'm not, I'm not the best at MIDI. I just usually kind of clunk around until I find something that I like. Um, it's an art form, man. I'm yeah. constantly, you have to edit it to make it feel right yep. and quantize it correctly and get the velocities correct and use the right sound. Yeah. yeah. It's, but I try not to use too much more to, to sequence stuff. And then we try to replace it. And usually when you replace it, like let's say you're doing strings, mm-hmm. it always ends up sounding better to leave some of it in there. It just has this bigger sound yep. where you, you'll use the natural instruments louder and then you'll kind of bolster them sure. with the MIDI. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I do that a lot with uh, DIs on, on, guitars and basses and things like that absolutely yeah blend them a little bit um yeah that's awesome i'm i'm glad to hear that there's midi in there that that makes me really happy for some reason it's just (laughs) i like i like the marriage of of the uh you know actual instruments and midi instruments and i I like combining all those things it's it's, you know if i had the means to do it all real i would do it sure we are such a band like our band is so fragile as far as how small we are and like economically that you know none none of us are doing this to make money although eventually we hope to sort of grow our fan base to the point where we're like you know at least making a dent on on some kind of radar sure but right now it's like the the lower the overhead like we go and record drums and i usually don't skimp out on that and it'll it'll cost you know 500 bucks for the session like man how many downloads are we gonna have to sell to pay for that right exactly yeah yeah but uh you've also got seven inches too right you've got two of them yeah 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 
yeah limited run yeah we just press you know as many as we think and we haven't whiffed too hard where we're sitting on a ton of inventory we've been pressing like 200 at a time okay and that'll be like pretty much it that we do on those runs i don't think we'll repress at all sure uh, unless something major happens but uh but you're looking to do a full length at some point oh yeah we're working toward it so this uh, releasing these singles it was kind of a new business model in a way like if you think about it mm-hmm. it's like i kind of feel like we're boutique music like i'm not trying to like brag but there's really not a lot of people doing the um this really produced music like in the you know yeah like the kind of like disco volante i think trey definitely is is the person in bungle that is better at producing music than anybody for sure you can hear that really clearly yeah. in the secret chiefs and and none of the other people uh in their other projects as awesome as they are have that sort of spark of that mm-hmm. like ridiculous production and you know all the other stuff that we've listened to we talked about you know the brian wilson stuff and whether it's ennio marcone and all the italian stuff or mm-hmm. joe meek but just that that you know that where the production itself is is the aesthetic right and and that's something that i feel is like one of my fortes that i've kind of gotten away from being a dad for so long that i remembered that you know i came back to it and i've realized i still could do this and now i've got you know the fastest computer i've ever had and yeah can run all these old emulation plugins that yeah. i never was able to run before so able to get some sounds that i'm really excited about that i you know really kind of like listen to and like that sounds cool man so you produced all the stratosphere records too for the most part yeah, yeah. Uh, but toward the end um you know jason jason was never really um involved in the production as much as he did a lot of the writing um and then toward the last record palace of mirrors he i think had a number of songs that he was producing on his own and he had had a bought like a full setup on his okay. own um and so now he's kind of taken that and run with it and and is a full-blown producer but during oh, nice. the majority of our you know life as a stratosphere yeah i did most of the production okay Awesome. Yeah. Um, so what's the what's the next song you're going to play? Okay, we might as well just go to the B side of that one. We're going to do The Days of Blue Jeans Were Gone. It's awesome. another chapter from um, from that Radio Free album, Oath. And uh, yeah, there's no reason to go into what, what the, that story is. But the, this is really what this song is, is an homage to um, Cinema Italiano, Morcone, uh, specifically mm-hmm. Mc- Morricone has a bunch of genres he does. There's like the spaghetti Western aspect. There's the, um, like the horror music, like the giallo kind of, um, kind of that dark mafia horror kind of music. And then he has this one that, uh, my friend Alan calls erotica. It's like where you've got the female vocal through all the reverb and the (laughs) spring sections and kind of a bossa nova type of chord change going on in the background. Um, so this song, yeah, it was, was me kind of, going for that vibe but of course i had to throw like a bunch of monkey wrenches in it where it starts Mm -hmm. in four four but eventually it does it goes through a series of metric modulations where um i don't know some people are familiar with what those are and some are i I don't know what those are let's take one bar of four four at Uh 120 beats per minute now if i were to multiply that tempo by seven eighths okay okay and whatever that number is so it would get um slower or faster it would get slower because it's seven eighths of it. Um, I could do the math right now. Anyway, so what that would tell you right there is if I say 120 times seven divided by eight. Sorry, getting geeky here. Guys. No, that's great. The new, the new tempo would be 105. So at that tempo and play a bar of seven, eight, 
So in other words, a bar of seven eight at one oh five fits exactly into a bar of four oh, four at one twenty. Yeah, yeah. So it's truly a metric modulation. Right. So every time it gets to a new tempo change, it's not random where I just decide it's gonna go a little faster. I calculated right. it and then did a time signature that fits exactly into the old time signature. Right. So that you could play them on top of each other if you wanted to, but the real um you know, this song is very different than the last one. There's no metal. It's very jazzy, kind mm-hmm. of erotic that we got um, this this girl, um, Caitlin O'Connor. Um, I didn't even know her. I just seen her in these bungle groups and said, hey, you want to try singing something for her? And I don't know if you do this style of like this weird, like bossa nova erotica Italian, you know, and I don't know if she'd ever sang it before, but she nailed it. She really had this like sensual kind of vibe. And there's like little you'll hear but it says certain words but mostly it's like little da da da's and things like okay, that yeah but yeah string sections that swell in and really tasty jazz voicings on all the guitars and there's you know the saxophone the accordion uh, electric piano uh my little four bass trick that i did a youtube video about but m- most of these songs I, I do four basses every time i do one bass and they're all playing exactly in unison wow but, hear the bass and you just all you would think is man that's a huge bass tone but if if i were to solo them all out you hear the upright the the hollow body i don't know if you see them behind me um p bass and then i'll do a guitar like a surf rock muted guitar Uh to kind of get the high end louder but uh that's my basic bass sound and that goes back to brian wilson he he did that on his wall of sound was to um to get multiple basses playing at once and it just has a really awesome effect wow yeah that's crazy four bass tracks all at once yeah. And, and, you know, you, I can go in and edit them if I, if, if they feel a little loose to me mm-hmm. or on certain songs that actually sounds cool to have a little bit of floppiness sure, and yeah. kind of flamming. Yeah. And then, you know, a lot more of the time you probably want it a little tighter. So I can go in and kind of edit some notes and kind of move them around to make them a little bit cleaner. Yeah.
I, I think, I mean, there's a... The accordion solo in there is obviously mind-blowing, and it was, I think it was right sometime near when Eddie Van Halen passed. It doesn't sound like Van Halen, but Steon oh, has this way yeah. with his accordion to just... He's kind of like a magician like that with his with his accordion where... Um, it just reminded me of like the, uh, I think that that section's in nine eight at that point. Uh-huh. Uh, it's like this weird jazzy swung nine eight, which is really weird because I've I've actually never seen like when we do most progressive music, we do it in like let's say we're doing seven and we're like one two three four five six seven one two three four five six seven one two three four five six and we count it in the slower like that. But it's always or we do nine, you know, whether it's one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. It's always straight. So I said, why can't you swing an odd time? Right. And it's weird because because what ends up happening is your downbeat ends up on an offbeat so if i so for a nine check it out oh, wow okay one two three so one two three four five six seven eight nine one two three four it's on the offbeat so the next one is on an upbeat it's on the offbeat right so one two five six seven eight nine one two three four five six seven eight nine one and then it straightens itself out after one more bar holy shit but um <laughs> that's yeah, awesome so that, that section of steon solo and bear you know takes an awesome solo too right after steon yeah um, oh, i love bear's work so much <clears throat> i love i love umlaut too i've been really into the stuff that he's been super doing good right. band yeah and yeah. it's really cool to see him kind of step out on his own you know like like i was saying before as most of his songs were just i think the only complete song he ever got in there was was after school special everything else was cannibalized parts right uh his parts are all over the bends uh half of air conditioned nightmare goodbye sober day mm-hmm. i'm not exactly sure on some of the uh, on the debut album or not, but it was n- almost never like, here's a bear's whole song. You know? Yeah. Well, it's funny. Cause what for, I don't know how this happened, but somehow I missed the umlaut record, heard it a couple years later. And I was like, Oh my God, like this is like so much of disco volante. And like, it's, oh, yeah. it's my dream to have like a disco volante part two. And not, that, not that that's a part two by any means, but it, it definitely had yeah. some moments. I'm like, Oh yeah, like this is this is something that really speaks to me. So, yeah, I love. What I've that noticed stuff. about his writing is he's a weird. It's like an like I can pretty much tell Trey's style separately from Trevor's and even yeah. from Mike's. Mm-hmm. Like they're very different. Like definitely, Trevor's like real jazzy and intellectual. And oh, I love Trey's Trevor. got that. I don't even know how to say it. That mystical sort of uh-huh. sound. Yeah, um, and Mike's just kind of. I don't even know how to describe it either, but um, Bear, it's it sounds like it could be any one of them writing the song or some mixture of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's actually bringing us. I think we're bringing us to the next song, which is his song, uh, Valis System A. Oh yeah, yeah, I like this one a lot. So, so this is your yeah your your second seven inch that you released, single. right? Yep, A okay. side. Yep. So Bear, you know when we first you know, got this idea of a band where, you know, it's easier for me to produce my own music because I kind of know what's going on and can hand out the parts. But obviously I want to give everyone else a chance and get the diversity of everyone's composition in there. So Bear's, you know, he's kind of a, I don't know how to explain it, but he's, he's kind of all over the place. Like he's got, you know, hard drives of random ideas and mm-hmm. he doesn't even know where they all are. And, but eventually he sent me all of these files. Um, so he sent this one and, and, and we kind of decided to, just hone in on it. And it was this like really gritty and you can hear on the demo, we included his four track demo as one of the bonus tracks of like what he gave us. Oh, wow. That's great. The original and it's really gritty. But the cool thing about it is we didn't, what you'll hear is we did not change the arrangement at all. We just did exactly what he did, but you almost can't, it's almost indistinguishable because it's, um, because it's just so rough, like this little gritty four track that he had going. I mean, 
we recorded the song for probably six months and we were kind of feeling each other out with how the, how does this process work? Cause now we're working on his song and we want to make sure he's happy and comfortable yeah, with it. Definitely. You know, people like, who knows? Like Chris and I were basically recording all of this stuff on top of his, um, on top of his music and sending it back to him. Most of it he would love. And then he would obviously, he almost felt bad when we first um, sent back, you know, this like worked up, you know, with all these 50 or hundred tracks going on. And he's like, Oh my God, how's, how's all this work going on on my songs? And I'm not involved in it. So he <laughs> starts sending me all these tracks and weird hours of the night. And, and uh, he was having a hard time making up his mind. So he just kept sending me more and more. And the track list is just growing and growing. And it was kind of a pain to get the song to the right spot, but uh, it was really worth it. Cause it's like, got this, kind of similar to some of the other sounds there's some really gritty sounds on here. And there's also some clean sounds. And obviously Danny, uh, Heifetz from Bungle is the guest drummer. On oh, the song. I forgot about stoked. that. Yeah. Super stoked to have him on that. And that was kind of a, an ordeal because it was like me communicating to bear and then bear communicating to Danny. And it was like this weird game of telephone that like, you know, it's like very inefficient. And I, I was surprised we actually got a good take because he recorded it. He's in Australia like, too, he didn't right? Go into a studio. Yeah. He, he has like a, some rehearsal space and he didn't want to go into a studio. I'm like, Oh my God. Oh no. Gonna get. Yeah. And so he sent it back with like a stereo track. And I don't know. It's like the sound is really good for the most part. Like it's almost sounded like this John Bonham kind of like, mm-hmm. like, like nice room, like whatever, wherever he's got it, it was like a good little setup, although I had no control. So I was like using low end filters to like re-trigger a second kick drum. There was actually a sample off of his kick drum, you know, from a secret chiefs three recording <laughs> session I was involved in and took the, just yeah. so I can get a little definition on the kick. So I was able to isolate the kicks and the snares just with frequencies that I could get a little bit of clarity on the drums because I all he gave me was a stereo file. He just gave but, you a stereo file of the. Yeah, That's I'm surprised awesome. I was able to get as much as I was out of the drums. Or not, it's not the best sounding drums ever, but I think sure. it's appropriate for the song, and um, did, I think it sounds pretty good. Did he multi-track it and then just give you a stereo file? I, I do hear that there's yeah, there's. I'm pretty sure he did, and I, he's recording in GarageBand or something. Oh my god, I, I don't know what I don't know what's going on. That's but, amazing. Um, I I feel like he had multiple mics that were he was just mixing to two channels. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Lucky it turned out as good as it did. I, of course, would prefer to have, you know, at least kick snare overhead. Oh, sure. Know, via luxury. Sure. But it's Danny Heifetz. You don't argue with Danny. Yeah. Some toms or something. But yeah. Wow. But, um, no, it turned out really good. That's the great. songs Bear was really happy with it. Um, there's some really great tones and just the. I love the arrangement of the song. Like you, like I was saying before, is like you'll hear that what Chris and I and Bear kind of produced on top of this, you know germ of a form that he had had on the four track it's that we were exactly true to that but there's you know dozens and dozens of tracks that we layered on top of it and the styles are it's very bare you could if this would have been you know 20 years ago this easily could have been something he submitted to bungle yeah it sounds very much up that alley yeah that's awesome so when was this seven inch single released that was a month ago or something okay so three weeks ago we finally yeah we still don't have the seven inches in our hand. Most people are buying them or just kind of pre-ordering and getting the download ahead of time. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. this is a silly question. We've talked a lot about production, but I assume you're mixing as well. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. All the mixing, but I do have a special little secret for the, um, for the end of my mix. I'm a huge fan of mixing to tape. I was going to ask. Um, okay. I was, yeah. I was going to ask. Yeah. Are you doing so? I love the to me, tape is like taking a picture and then putting a frame on it. It just kind of yeah. bundles it together, yeah. especially for certain kinds of music. Like for our music, it's perfect. For 
straight up clean metal i don't know if it would be necessary like if you're just going for a clean rock or metal sound yeah. and you just don't want any of that but I like stuff to sound and you know, I, I send it to this guy in Nashville who I've never met, but he, that's his whole, I don't know if it's his whole business, but that's one of his businesses is he has a really good quarter inch, you know, pro tape machine okay. that runs people just send him stuff online. And he just, you know, and sometimes I'll tell him, Hey, this one, could you hit it a little harder than you usually would? Sure. I want it to be. Do, um, does he, does he run it onto tape and then back into, yep. Okay. That's it. And then I master from there and I've already kind of pre-mastered it. I master as I go. So I have a master chain going mm-hmm. the whole time that has a, you know, two to three DB of compression. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got some EQ going on. I, I'm a little bit of limiting, but I don't mess too much with the whole loudness war thing. No, since no. Uh, streaming services normalize it anyway, <laughs> yeah, to, seriously. Certain, yeah. to certain standards. So there doesn't seem to be much reason anymore mm-hmm. to squash it. So I try to go for negative 14 LUFS. Mm-hmm as they call them luffs or yep. loudness unit, something um, full scale loudness units at full scale. Is that what it stands for? I am not sure, um, but yeah. I, yeah. So I, I use it. So at the very end of my mastering chain, I have a luffs meter. So it tells you what your average luffs was for the whole track as it played. And you just kind of aim for that YouTube standard or whatever they're going right. to Spotify. They all have, I think they're all about negative 14 luffs. So no matter how loud you make your music, yeah. that's how loud they're going to turn. Right. It. Yeah. So I let it breathe now. I don't feel the need to really squash no, it much at no, all. I don't think so. That's awesome. You're putting it on onto tape. That's that's really cool. I love that. Um, yeah, it's a it's a good step. It's something I've. I mean, he's dirt cheap. He charges like fifteen bucks a track to do. Really? It. Yeah, he's wow. on Fiverr. His name's Tim Dolabear. He runs a studio's called. I can't remember. He's out of Nashville. Wow. Um, but Tim Dolabear, he's on Fiverr. He's on. He's got his own website. Okay. But highly recommend it for anyone who just needs a little bit of an analog punch for the end of the yeah. mix uh yeah that's fantastic i mean shit two inch tape is not cheap um yeah and it's not two inch so like mixing is either half or quarter inch oh okay because two inch has the 24 track sure. that's why it's so big okay. yep so yep. the the standard i think is the ampex atr 102 is that what it is but he doesn't have he has some different one that's that's comparable to that unit okay anyway wow that's awesome okay so yeah what what's the song called again um valis system a it's a satellite beaming from a, a from a distant galaxy to the narrator of the book. Okay, awesome. <laughs> let's uh, let's listen to this one.
Okay, that was great. So that was uh, a bear original. Man, I just love bear. I could go on. Yeah, on and on he's, about he's, him. He's a funny guy. I mean, I've 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 spent time with him on tour um, in the Secret Chiefs tour with the Stratosphere. That was really the only time I'd ever spent with him in person. And you know, we we video chat from time to time. He's just such a funny guy. He's very really? quirky. Yeah, I've never met him. Yeah, I, he's, it's a lot of fun. That's great. But um. He's been in, so the B side. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say he's been in Australia for quite a while now, hasn't he? Yeah, I think he had some kids. His kids are like adults; <laughs> they're like twenty or something oh, really? like that. Yeah. And yeah, so he's just you know settled there, and why not? Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so B side. What's on the B side of this yeah. one? We got Claw Peel's Mission Checkup. Um, it's a very kind of government surveillance uh, chapter going on. Okay. Here. The, the people are supposed to voluntarily fill out these convoluted questions that you're not even sure what they want you to answer. And that's going to somehow tell them uh, where your allegiances lie. Awesome. Okay. Um, so it's this yeah, mission checkup. Uh, just a, what did they call it? The voluntary information kit that they would send out to each American in the book. Um, nice. Okay. <laughs> but you could definitely draw a lot of parallels to some, uh, some things going on right now that I, I won't get into. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Definitely. Uh, you read a good book and the, the parallels are always there to your modern times. Sure. Yeah. And it's, um, and it's claw peels with a K, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And that one is a mystery. I can't really get into because <clears throat> it's there for the taking there. There's a mystery in the song that I can't, it's not like that. It's not that big of a deal, but it's something I want people to discover on their own and they may never discover it. Definitely. Yeah. There may be something when you hear this song. I mean, it's a lap steel driven. It sounds like a fifties Gothic surf ballad. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Um, you know, with the lap steel and everything, but there may be something very familiar about this song to people. And I don't know if they, if the, if the subconscious would have enough, you know, ammunition to sure to really decode what it is. Um, you know, I could tell you off the air um, what it is and you'll be like tripping out. But I, I kind of <laughs> like people to, to, yeah, yeah. to figure it out because it stands on its own without even knowing any of that stuff. But most of the tuning in this song, mm -hmm. I tuned to different, you know, I I didn't tune things to equal temperament as much. I would try okay. to get some of the harmonic tuning, mm -hmm. um, and which is hard to do. The lap steel can do it, but I would have to go in, you know, and individually change notes sometimes yeah. in the computer yeah. to get some of those um, true the major thirds and everything okay but yeah the song's really dark i did a youtube tutorial on the song so it has the feel of six eight um one two three four five six one two three four five six one so i decided though I, that i wanted something really jacked with the timing that i wanted it to feel like six eight but i was going to actually shave off some amount and make it less than six eight so you double six eight to twelve you know sixteen mm -hmm. and then you could try shaving off one there 11 16 now that sounds way too proggy okay double again 12 so it would turn it to 24 32 let me try shaving off a 16th i'm gonna say 23 32 in digital performer so i'd have it go i'm like no that was still just a little too jarring so i doubled it one more time and went to 48 64 oh my god and shaved off a 64th note um you can check it out. I did a, a YouTube video that, that has this time signature and you can see my counter going. Okay. In, in yeah. Performance. I got to see that. Um, and so, so you shave off a 64th note and it's not prog anymore. It's not something you're counting where you're like, what are I mean, it goes, what are the 47? Right. It's that fast. So all you end up feeling is that the downbeats have the tiniest little rush to them. It's just yeah, this yeah. little I can tiny. See that. It's more like a feel where you don't have to count it. Right. It's not like 
you're counting 15, 16 or something mm-hmm. like that. But um, so anyway, and that's real subtle too, because you can count you when we're playing it as musicians, we're just sitting there counting it basically in six. It's too fast to count it in 47. Right. <laughs> and you just feel it anyway. Yeah. To rush that downbeat. So, so it, yeah, this song's got a very dark sort of minor underworld, underwater, outer space, lap steel vibe. So is this your song? Like, did you take the reins on this one? <sighs> I could say I wrote this song, although if the mystery got decoded, that could be called into question to some degree. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, yeah, let's listen to it. So this is Claw Peels.
Okay, awesome. So that was side B of that seven inch. Do you, I know you're working on a full length. Are you thinking about any more singles or is that it for now? I think there'll be one more single before the full length's done. We're really trying to push because like we're starting to realize that like the singles is cool and it's been a good, you know, but there's weird little, I don't know if I'd call them moral issues, but like at what point, like, you know, do people, are we having people buy like the same thing over and over? Like, right. like yeah. this, the, the album is going to be mostly these singles. Maybe we'll have some way to discount people that have bought it or yeah. most of our fans seem content to like pay us more for like, we go on Kickstarter and they're paying an average of 30 bucks instead of 10 bucks, which we're asking. Oh, right. Um, yeah. So yeah, people seem content. I just don't think that's sustainable. I think eventually we just need people to buy it at asking price and not, you know, we'll, we'll take it, believe me. But yeah, um, we're such a small operation but um yeah so i I think one more single and then we'll try to we're trying to go warp speed um oh god i like that term um (laughs) we're gonna go (laughs) warp speed to uh to finish the record we're hoping by midsummer we can get it's gonna take a lot of work but we've finally got like a sequence for the full all 10 songs that are going to be on the first record okay Radio Free Album Move has 30 chapters, so we're actually going to be just going back to back to back. Radio Free Album Move 1, 2, 3 will be our first three records. So it'll oh, be wow. 10 songs in the first 10 chapters. Um, That's awesome. Of the book. Yeah, it just helps to kind of contextualize it a little. And, you know, I'd be lying if I said, you know, we wrote every note like fully informed by the chapter because some things I'm pulling up from, you know, stuff I wrote 15 years ago. Sure. And, yeah. Oh, that would be cool as, you know, the Aramchek accusation or whatever chapter that is. Right. But I, I think as it goes on, we're going to be able to kind of cannibalize some of the material and thematically recycle it to kind of bring some, you know, continuity to mm-hmm. it a little bit to yeah. some of the themes. Are you are you thinking self-released? That's a good question. Um, so the self-release model is interesting. Like, obviously, we're, we're real small beans at this point. Yeah. I mean, we're selling, you know, 300 copies of each release at this right. point. But we're keeping 100% of everything. So sure. going on a label, you know, if you go to the, some of these smaller labels, you could get, what, some of them that will give you 40% of it or yeah. way better than major labels. But you're still going to have to sell, you know, three times more, mm-hmm. two, two and a half times more. I think ultimately it would be in our best interest to probably get on something like um, there's a number of labels. I mean, obviously Ipecac comes to mind as something we would be yep. interested in. They would have any interest in this. I know uh, obviously he's worked with bear and Mike's yep. actually worked with Steon. Um, That's right. Yeah. Simba's worked on a bunch of Zorn stuff mm-hmm. and released stuff on Zaz. I don't know. It's, it's always hard to tell. I always feel like an outsider in that whole group. And I always feel like, well, listen to my song. It seems like it should be right up the alley, but but there's a part of me that's always like, see, why does it seem like such a long shot? Even, uh, you know, could yeah. just email Mike or Steon could just email Mike. But right. um, I kind of feel like we have to do it right. We're working on this. Um, the next single right now is is probably going to be our biggest statement so far. It's a um, Romanian gypsy tune. Oh, wow. Which nice. is like uh, Steon's wheelhouse. Yeah. And it's, you know, we're, we're going to stratospherize it. So it's like really fast, authentic, Romanian gypsy, but metal in seven, eight. And this song is just an absolute monstrosity. I know Mike loves uh, Tarofte Haidukes and yes. Romanian gypsy music. Yes. And he even took some of their riffs and put them into Ars Moriendi. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, California is filled with that stuff. I felt like. Yeah. Especially Ars Moriendi. They yep. directly lifted off of um, what song is that off? Tarofte Haidukes. Uh, I can't remember the song. Anyway, I'll think of it eventually. Yeah. But, um, so this song is an absolute mo- like because Stratosphere that was one of the things we were known for is like the gypsy metal thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like this song is going to really 
almost up the ante as far as, you know, the gypsy metal thing. I mean, Steon is such a monster at this kind of music. I mean, he can play anything like even the guitar parts, like the Romanian, you know, the Bulgarian sort of Romanian odd time stuff is not really Chris's wheelhouse at all. He could learn it and could have done a good job, but Steon's like, Oh no, I'll just play the guitar. And he just does it one time, <laughs> sends it to us yeah. and it's perfect. Like the guy can play any instrument better than you can, right. like anything. He'll pick up your instrument and just absolutely blow you away at it. And we hung out with them in California uh, when they toured with the Stratosphere in the early 2000s and got a time where he was just hanging out at our house and he could virtuoso banjo, guitar, yeah. bass, piano, whatever it is, he can just play it. So, Are you saying that Farmer's uh, Market toured with the Stratosphere? Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yep. That's crazy. That was fun, man. That was some good times. Did you guys tour a lot? It seems like you're touring quite a bit. Not as much as you would think. Really? Like we, our records would take like two and a half years to finish. Like we were just so yeah. production oriented. Yeah. That we would play local, but as far as the tours, we would do a record and then do like one 30 day tour. There were times we'd go up and down the West coast, but mm-hmm. as far as our official U S Canada tours, it'd be when we finished a record, we did one after every record and that was about it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Palace of mirrors was actually on the end records and I, I, yeah. I released a bunch of records on the end. Oh, nice. going back all the way. Are they still around? To, nope. Nope. They, wow. they got, they went under, huh? well, they got absorbed by BMG. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I started releasing records on the end in 99, I believe. So, well, yeah, we were label mates there for a spell. Um, nice. But yeah. Yeah. I don't, I feel like we didn't really like, we were kind of coming to an end. I mean, I, you know, there was a cool release. We did the, the palace of mirrors CD and then yep. we did the DVD. Yeah along with it, which I think is like one of our best products. And a lot of our fans don't even know of it. It's on YouTube and, you know, if people can find the DVD, but um, it, it is, I mean, the amount of work that went into bringing, you know, a cast of video crew that could be simul- simultaneously doing the live projections and capturing them for the DVD, but, you know, having these video mixers that were doing like black and white yeah. photos that would merge into somebody that was zooming into us on stage. Yeah. And it was very psychedelic, incredibly lo-fi production, um, you know, that that it was I don't know how much we lost doing that, bringing these extra. We probably lost ten thousand dollars on the tour. But the fact that we got that DVD out of it and it was never something that really took off, even with our fan base. You know, I don't know how many we sold of the DVD, but. Yeah, it is. It, when I when anyone asks, like, where should I start? As for me, I, a lot of our older, like diehard fans are always going to go back to our first couple records. Yeah. Like, oh, those are the classic ones. And yeah, I, I get what they're saying. Mm-hmm. But as far as production value, like Palace of Mirrors is such a more cohesive record. Yeah. It doesn't do all that style jumping, kind of like we we're talking about before, where yep. each song is kind of its style and stays in that style until mm-hmm. the next song. For me, they're all they're all pretty different, too. I mean, yeah, um, I think in some ways like buck fever is my favorite and another yeah. way is palace of mirrors is my palace favorite is not is not the only thing is it's not as much fun as some of the other records yeah. it's a very dark record right. um but as far as the like cinematic sound and the cohesiveness mm-hmm. and just the production value i think we'd finally sort of hit what we were aiming for but um, yeah. obviously there's some really good stuff on those old records too oh it's great um and like the first one you really get into a lot of the kind of like gypsy klezmer stuff that i really like and yeah um yeah silent elk of yesterday like that one was super yeah. fun too um it's pretty funny when we do like it because our drummer dave is obviously like a pure metal guy yep. and he was adding that influence in um a lot of times not against our will but he if, if it wasn't for him doing it like so usually 
with a stratosphere, the metal was something we would add to the sort of gypsy song or something. Yes. It was just, it uh-huh. was a dynamic return, but there's a few songs like, like silent elk that are like more like straight up metal, yeah. which is not really quite in our wheelhouse, but it was kind of cool that we could pull it off. Well, it was funny. Cause when I first heard that, I was like, Oh wow. They really kind of like went for it here. Uh, it kind of surprised me. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that's Dave. I, I made a record with Dave. that is Dave. And he yeah. was like gargling, you know, milk. And he's like, doesn't even, eat dairy and all yeah He's doing all this stuff to get all phlegm in his yeah. throat <laughs> yeah i i made a record with dave so i know how metal he is at times um yeah he's got great ideas he has he's very because he has a like a jazz background yeah. too so he has this um these way of making up these interesting beats that are seem just a little bit elevated beyond standard metal yeah but he's always going <laughs> to yeah. filter them through the lens of sort of a standard metal yeah. kind of thing so it's a it's a cool so it's fun working with him because he naturally comes up with just some really interesting beats. Yeah, he's a monster drummer. And you're right. I mean, if you listen to the record that I did with him, um, everything that he plays is basically just so outside of the box at all times that it's kind of hard to <laughs> grasp onto, you know. And uh, that's what, exactly what we're looking for. So it was. Yeah, that's awesome, yeah, man. Yeah, it was pretty great. Um, here's a really stupid question for you. Uh do you see any live performances in the future of High Castle? It'd be tough, man. Yeah, I, I don't. But like, I, my plan is to grow this thing as much as I can. Like, I'm starting to even like the fact that I've connected with you and have like lately been like trying to see like who knows anyone in media or podcasts or whatever. Yeah, trying to get this thing out there a little more. I feel like that's the part we always missed in a stratosphere is we never did any of that. Oh, I just, see. Okay. There was no one in the group. That's why our group never got bigger. We were just focused on the music and, you know, we had our lives to live to and make, make, make a living and things yeah. like that. So, um, there was never one natural person that was like the PR guy that was like really good at it or you right. know, could hire. So it's, you know, we'd get to places and tour and, you know, it'd be 150 people there mm-hmm. and it would barely pay for the, the food and the gas to get there. Yeah. Um, but you know, music is a brutal business. Sure it's, is. It's, it is horrible. It, like especially now when people don't think like pay for music very much. Yep. And, you know, you almost feel like, gosh, how much better off are musicians before the internet existed? Yeah. Uh, just like the, the, I, when when go, going to buy a record was like exciting. It was You're like I holding this in my hands mm-hmm. and and that tactile experience. Yeah. I just feel like people in general, even ones that like music, it's just not as exciting with all the other stimulus we have on uh, stimuli. We have kind of affecting us now. Yeah. I agree. I think you have to make it a priority, you know? So I guess the point I'm making is, is if this really started to take off and by take off, I mean, like if we increased from selling 300 to like 10,000 units of, of a thing and we could get to the point where, you know, Australia wants us to play a festival or, or do like, sure. you know, that, that kind of thing is definitely a possibility. Although this stuff would be really hard to play live. Yeah. And it's, you know, a lot of the stuff I do, you know, if I'm being honest is like, I'm sitting here and punching in my parts just cause I don't, you know, I could play the part if I sat here and practice it all, but it's just as easier for me to play four bars yep. and then figure out what I'm going to play in the next four bars and do it. Yep. And, you know, so you don't get better at playing the whole song through doing that. No, <laughs> we could do it, but um, yeah. I, I think, I think what we have to offer is more in the recorded realm. Like I was saying, like, I think that's my biggest strong suit is doing these sort of odd layered, weird mix of hi-fi and lo-fi productions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're, I mean, your productions always sound great. And I feel like this uh, high castle stuff is, you know, possibly your best work as far as production goes. I think it is. I, I, I think, oh, whoops, my, um, 
was I going to say my last um, ISS record that I made? She's a girl. It's a totally different kind of music, but um, I was sort of really trying to emulate that sort of uh, Beach Boys wall of sound mm-hmm. thing going on and, you know, in digital. So like, I think um, I could send you that record. You could take a look. But, but yeah, I haven't heard some that of the sound yet. is uncanny. We're just like, man, this really sounds like a mid 60s song. And that, that's not easy to do in digital. No, no, not at all. That's awesome. Yeah, I got to I got to hear that one. I don't know why I didn't check that out, but I never did. I'll have to do that yeah. for sure. <laughs> well, awesome, man. Um, that's the four songs. Uh, if if people want to check you guys out, purchase your records, what's the best way to uh, to look into that? Um, HighCastleTeleOrchestra.com. And Teleorchestra is like, I don't know, is that a European spelling? T-E-L-E-O-R-K-E-S-T-R-A.com. We've got a store there. We're also on Bandcamp. If people prefer that medium, that's fine yeah. too. And um got two singles out so far and our singles are kind of a weird little product that we call them deluxe singles and they're doubles. So there's two main songs and then there's upwards of like 10 to 12 bonus tracks, which are remixes and, and old demos of those. And, and, you know, it's not something you're necessarily supposed to listen all through, but um, at once, like it's a record because you'd keep hearing the same songs over and over, right. <laughs> but there are some really interesting spins on it that give you like a, a different perspective. You know, maybe it's a little bit more for the geeky fans, but I've been sure. getting really good feedback on some of those bonus tracks that people are really liking them. And eventually when we make our full length record, what I think we're going to do is have like a CD, like a double CD digipack where you have the main mixes and then we choose one um, alternate mix that's like something very different than the other mix and then so there'll be like a shadow record that's the same songs but like a completely different okay. take on the same songs yeah, yeah yeah that's kind of my idea right now is like if we're gonna do you know some a lot of people still like cds it seems where where if we're gonna make a cd it might will be a really nice package and right really like i don't know how many pages of digipack but our we've got an artist guy david dines who's doing all our stuff and reads the books with us and understands all the symbols and all oh, that nice stuff. So, yeah 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 are you are you a vinyl guy or a cd guy you know, I, most of my stuff has been digitized at this point. I've, yeah. I've done enough transcontinental moves that I unfortunately got rid of most of my vinyl in a stupid, hasty move moving from Seattle to Montreal Yeah, uh, in a, on a, under the shotgun from the wife being pregnant. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and I don't, and I don't have a lot of CDs. I do have a really crazy, a good iTunes collection that has like 20,000 songs mm-hmm. and has like, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, know some of the best music collectors in the world that have been willing to give me their digitized collections. And so I I have taken hundreds of hours in my iTunes to rate everything and genre, and I can make these smart playlists that are like, you know, Italian music from 1962 to 1968. That's more than four stars and like whatever the criteria is. And I can make these ridiculous playlists, but yeah, that's awesome. I, I was a CD guy most of my life. And then I did some moves too. And I sold my entire CD collection, digitized everything. And then I had, I was stupid. I only backed it up in one place. My my hard drive crashed. I lost everything. Yeah. Uh, Not the end of the world. um, But I used it as a, as a chance for rebirth. So now I am, I, I live in Portland, Oregon. I am part of the hipster vinyl community. So I have, uh, embraced vinyl and that's basically nice you know what i do now and i just i really i really enjoy the ritual of it you know i like no it's 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 awesome i, I have so i've i've 
bought vinyl again. I just I don't have much of a collection. I just have the equipment and a couple yeah. records, and I'm like planning on it, but. You know, I've just it's just been been tough to sort of do that. And, I, you know, I get so lost in music production that I don't end up. I, I feel like my music listening, it always suffers a little bit when I'm doing so much production. Yeah. Like I can listen in the car or, or wherever. But yeah, a lot of times I'm a very obsessive person where I listen to like one thing over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't I'm not as diverse as people would probably think by listening to the end result, because I'll like, you know, I'll go through these eras where I'm obsessed with things, whether it's the beach boys or more Kone or Joe Meek or, and then by the end of it, I have all that stuff in down in there somewhere right. that it kind of comes up. But at the moment, you know, what, what is it that I'm listening to? Or, I mean, when I'm in the car, mostly my kid drives my kids crazy because I listen to these mixes over and over yeah. that I'm working on. <laughs> and they're just like, Oh my God, dad's going to play that song again. And I'm just like, sorry, I need to hear where the mix is. Uh, yeah. Like, I, the only th- you probably know this when you're making mu- music is like I don't listen to what I did after I made it. Hell no, never. But during during the process, it like sounds magical to you. Yeah. It's like all this stuff happening, and it's really this like magical process where it doesn't sound. And then by the time you're finished, it's like you let it fly away, and it's just over. It's not really yours anymore, it, and it's not that's, not that exciting to you anymore. That's exactly and it. While you were making yeah. it, you're like, this is gonna change the world, right. or you know, like, <laughs> this is the best thing ever. Yeah, I have I have two teenage daughters, and and they're oh, wow. they're the same way. And I'm, you know, I'm, I do a lot of mixing too. And so they're always like, you're listening to that same song for six hours today. I'm like, yeah. And yeah, <laughs> I just... love it, man. I could do it. I, I can work. I mean, you probably do the same thing, but I could work for 18 hours. No problem. Oh yeah. If, 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 yeah. if I wasn't getting summoned by the wife, or yeah. I, I don't think I can get away with that a length of time right now, but um, yeah. I'll stay up all night sometimes and get in trouble for it. And you know, whatever, sorry, I'm now I'm awake. Here's breakfast. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to bed. <laughs> Yeah, my my kids are a little bit older, so uh, you know, ten years ago is a totally different story. I had barely any time at all, but now both my kids are teens, yeah. and they don't need you much. They don't need me You're as much. They're really self sufficient, yeah. so I'm able to Good. to really lock myself away at times, and so awesome, man. Yeah. Well, Tim, it was a pleasure and an honor to have you on the podcast. Um, yeah, thank you so much for having me on, and definitely would be interested in coming on again, maybe yeah. uh, sometime release of the full length um yeah i would love that yeah anytime i mean we're and or anytime you want like uh, anytime you release a single if you want to do it but you know but at this point better off just probably waiting because it should be summertime so yeah no I, I would love that for sure um yeah thanks again and uh yeah keep in touch man it's a pleasure to talk to you absolutely man it was a total pleasure and i um, definitely want to stay in touch awesome all right thanks man see you next time thank you all right bye